As we prepare to hear the message, let's say together a prayer as we read from the Word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. From Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 to 9. The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near, who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you here today. I uh, want to welcome you as the pastor of this church to the fellowship of this church in a particular season of life that perhaps fellowship has been hard to come by. But I trust that uh, beyond the uh, mask, you would experience the grace of the Lord in community with one another and that you would be blessed. I just can't help but wave to you, family, seeing your little baby that was born right as all of this happened, and the first time I get to see her, and thank you for bringing her to church and accompanying her, because she is a guest of honor today. Uh, good to see both of you, Natalia. Uh, so good to have you here. Uh, if you're visiting with us, welcome. I trust that you experience, as I've already expressed the grace of the Lord today in our fellowship and our worship. Thank you to Roman and the team and the group that weekly sits and gets us through this. Uh, it's been just over a year now, and, and I think uh, about the amount of work and change that they've had to make. And I, before I share with you uh, from the Word of God, I think we just need to give God thanks for the kinds of people who serve us faithfully behind the scenes to enable us to continue to worship together. Amen? God bless you and thank you. Palm Sunday, it's always an interesting day to me because of this idea behind the scripture that when Jesus triumphantly enters Jerusalem to the adulation and praise of many, that in just a few days he would be crucified and disappoint perhaps the very ones who praised him. And so I've always struggled with Palm Sunday because as has been shared, our children will come in and they will hold up palm branches and they will celebrate Jesus as the Messiah. And that is absolutely true. But the scripture would tell us that oftentimes those who think that they know what kind of Messiah Jesus is will often be challenged by the actual Messiah he would be. Uh, put differently, that the Messiah who comes to bring good news to the weary would do so not by taking up power as people anticipated, 
but through laying down his life. And I, as I stand before you this morning on this day, I thought, Lord, how do I help us as a church to enter this holy week with a honesty? We have the advantage of knowing how the story ends <laughs> or begins, depending on how you interpret it. And perhaps we are the kinds of people that can anticipate uh, what is coming on Good Friday and then Resurrection Sunday. But what does it mean for us to be the people of God who wants to worship God for who He is? I, I want to suggest to you that the Word of God plays a crucial role in helping us to worship the Jesus that we see in Scripture. And there is a sense in which it is very hard for us to often lay down our expectations of God in order to allow God to be God. It is sometimes very hard for us to worship who Jesus is when we would want Him to be a particular way. Another way of saying it, we read Scripture not so much to create an image of Jesus for ourselves, but to discern who God truly is as revealed through Scripture, and we worship Him. And so this morning, as I prepare very shortly to share with you, and God's people nodded amen, I trust that we would pray this prayer. Father, may we hear your word. Your word spoken to us personally, but as your people. Your word has been read and your prophet says that you have given him a word to sustain the weary. I, I, I just think, Lord, that we need a word to sustain us in this season. A word that comes from you. Maybe not in the way we want it to, and maybe not in the way that we think we ought to hear it, but a word that comes from you that tells us that you are still on the throne. That you are still God. That despite the ebbs and flows of life, the disappointments of life, despite the challenges we are facing, and perhaps even the emotional state we find ourselves in, that you are still worthy of praise and your promises are true. May through the simplicity of my thoughts, as I reflect upon your word, may you be lifted up. And may you draw us all closer to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Prophets spoke on behalf of God, and they had this unique calling that they would stand before the people and say, thus says the Lord. Now, for the prophetic office in the Old Testament, or for prophets in the Old Testament, a speaking the words of God was very significant. They, uh, they understood that they represented what the Scriptures define as the beginning and the end, the God who created all things and chooses ordinary, often flawed prophets to proclaim His Word. And for this, Pastor Ryan, we that preach say, thanks be to God. There is a sense in which to understand the text, one has to understand that when the prophets spoke, 
The people were invited to hear what they say as if God himself was saying it to them. Now the challenge with hearing the word like that today is that we live in a culture that tells us that talk is cheap. You heard that saying? And for many of us, we would say we, we, we probably agree with that sentiment because we've seen enough people say things and do something different. And sadly, sometimes in leadership, whether in politics or even sometimes within religious circles, we have seen this discrepancy between a word proclaimed and a word lived. And so we are kind of a a smart, educated people here in Canada, in Calgary. We are uh, students not only of the word, but we observe our culture. And so some of us may sit here today and say, I, I understand what you're trying to say, but there's probably a lot of reason for me to be dubious about believing much these days, because as our culture goes, the statement, talk is cheap, seems to be true. But for those of us who are shaped by the Bible's story, the narrative of Scripture, or as we would say, the Word of God, we enter into listening with trusting hearts, believing that what is spoken is God's Word for us, and when His Word is spoken, it offers us not only a means of living our life, but a means to understand who we ought to be as God's people. In abbreviated form, we hear the word as a believing community that God still speaks to his people. And that at the right time, God speaks the word that the people need to hear. And so if you're here this morning, and you kind of feel like it's coincidental that you're here, you're like, I've never been here before, or uh, I got in before the cutoff list, because unfortunately, we now have to do that. If you're sitting here and you're saying, I've come because I desire to be in fellowship and communion with others and with God, that is a wonderful desire, but could it be today that God wants to renew our faith in believing that He still speaks to us and that we, as God's people, need His Word for such a time as this. I see some nodding. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that means amen. So what do we see in this particular text that helps us in a season of life like this? First of all, it's the scripture says to us that the prophet believes that God has given him a word to sustain the weary. <laughs> Eugene Peterson, who some go, you know, Stu, I don't know if we should be reading paraphrases of the scripture. Can I just clarify? I just want to help you understand that Eugene Peterson remains one of the most influential pastoral theologians to me in my life. And when he wrote the message, he was doing this with the ability to understand the biblical language, interpret the scripture, and to put it in words that would make sense to a people who found it hard to understand it. Let me say it differently. The word of God has always been a word that needs translation so that people may understand it. 
So sometimes we as Christians, we get caught up on various translations and this is better than that. And though that might be true in the technical sense, the Word of God has always been intended to be heard and understood by His people. And whenever people try to do that, they are doing good work for the kingdom. That's just a bonus comment. Peterson would say it this way. The master God has given me a well-taught tongue so I know how to encourage tired people. Let me uh, pause for a second and just resonate with some of you. I see moms here today and dads. I often tell this story, but it's okay. I've been here long enough. I have earned some credit to repeat some stories. When Lauren was just little, just a baby, and, and uh, we were living in Toronto. Uh, that's Lauren right there for those you don't know. Um, we, we were part of this church. I was a youth pastor, and people would come up to me, and they'd say, they, they, they'd say, how is Lauren doing? I'd say, she's doing great. She's doing great. How is she sleeping? People who have had kids, this is one of the key questions. How is she sleeping? Moms right now, you know what I'm talking about. And this was my response several times. She sleeps through the night. God has given us a gift. <laughs> Until one day, Ruthann, my wife, was in earshot of what I was saying. She walked over and she corrected my false perception with these words. He sleeps through the night. <laughs> There's, however, a weariness, isn't there? A fatigue. A sense in which I am asking in this season what Israel was asking following their exile. God, how long? How long will we have to wait? How long will we be in this situation? How long do we anticipate? And how long is this all going to take? I, I, I just, I want us just to enter in for a moment and just acknowledge that some of us are so weary right now and we don't quite know what to do with that weariness. Now that weariness shows up in different ways. Sometimes we're short with those in our home. Can I get an amen? I was saying to somebody recently, I'm so grateful we have a lab retriever that loves indiscriminately and sometimes is too foolish to know when we're upset with her. But weariness affects us as it did the people. 70 years of exile because they did not listen to the word that was spoken through the prophets that came from God. Sometimes our weariness derives from listening to the wrong voices. Sometimes our weariness derives from Hearing, but not obeying. Sometimes our weariness comes and it actually makes us incapable of being attentive to that which God wants to say to us. 
And so, God for Israel, who is important to our understanding of Jesus, is saying to them in this second Isaiah, starting in chapter 40 through to 55, that I am going to bring you out of your exile, and I'm going to bring you back to where you've come from. But in order for this people to come back from where they were, God was going to have to do something to get his word heard amongst the people. And in Isaiah, the second Isaiah, there's the servant that is presented to them. Now, some think immediately when we hear the description in the text, are you still with me? Say amen. When we hear the description in the text, we automatically think that the servant spoken of is Jesus. And we are right and also wrong. We are right in the sense that the servant that is described as the word to the people, with a word to the people, will resemble Jesus. In fact, we read Jesus in the New Testament and we realize that he looks back to the prophet Isaiah and there reads about the suffering servant and he becomes that for the people also. But there is a lot going on in the text that could lead us to an honest reflection of the scripture and say, I think I see Jesus in Isaiah. And if you do, you are right. For example, the suffering servant who would speak a word to the people talks about doing that faithfully and receiving resistance and being uh, in fact, I'm just going to read it. Verse 6, it says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult or spitting. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like flint. Do you know what that means? You know, like a flint stone. <laughs> I didn't mean that, but you know what a flint stone is? You kind of hit it to get a spark to start a fire. This servant, despite doing what God has called him to do, which is to offer a word to sustain the weary as they return from exile, encounters resistance. And so when we read the text, it sounds like Jesus to me, and, and perhaps we should understand it that way. But I want to point this out to you. When Isaiah was written, the people heard this differently than we do today. In fact, the inability to listen from the beginning when God liberated them from Egypt to their Babylonian exile would define who this people would be. And it seems to me that when the servant is presented here, Jesus is, is in our minds, but the scripture would have us understand that God is presenting to the people the ideal of what it means to listen and to follow in his ways. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of history just before I make three important points. As the people were returning from exile, there was a man by the name of Zerubbabel. I can only pronounce that correctly once. He was the leader of the exiles, and he was intent on rebuilding Jerusalem. And it is recorded for us in extra-biblical history that, that he suffered 
for doing what God had taught him to do in leading the people home. And it seems to me, it's really important that we understand this, that prophets, you know, back home, I'm from South Africa, my brother tells me this all the time, a lot of people are now prophets. Churches are starting and there's just prophets everywhere. I wonder if, if we pause for a second to hear just how hard it was for prophets. <laughs> Maybe we'd be less interested in assigning that title to ourselves. The prophet Jeremiah preached over and over and no one repented. The prophet Isaiah in the holy place, in the temple, is so overcome by who God is that he makes this confession, I am a man of unclean lips, living amongst the people of unclean lips. And there seems to me to be in the text, a prophet who stands in the difficult place to speak the hope of God and is willing to take it on the chin to do so. And sometimes I wonder if when I, as your pastor, now this is not just about me, but I got to be honest, there's very few texts that so convicts the preacher as this text. That when I proclaim the word, will I have the same courage to say what God has given me to say, no matter the response I may get. Because I trust that in the end, God is faithful to his word and he is mighty to save. The prophetic voice is so important for this season of life. And it is a word, if we listen to it, that will challenge us but also lead us honestly to hope. So here goes. I said I have three points, right, Pastor Ryan? I just caught him. He wasn't listening to me, but he knew the answer was yes. First of all, we need God's help to hear a prophetic word in a time in which it is hard to listen. I think that uh, for the people of God, there was so much happening. There was so much going on in their lives, the turmoil of exile, the, uh, the transition that is anticipated, the fighting within themselves, and still the powers that want to hold them captive. And it's interesting how God uses the servant not only to offer them a word of assurance, but the, serv the servant becomes an example of how to hear the word of God. The word itself that is used in the text by the servant is a word that is used earlier, and it says that God stirs, unsettles the ears of the servant so that he may hear the word of God, so that what he hears he may speak. And this is not going to sound profound. You know, one of the challenges I have every Sunday when I preach, I've been doing this for a number of years now, is I want to be profound. I have this desire to impress you with something you don't know. But sometimes, <laughs> the Lord says to me, it's not that we need new information. We just need to believe the existing information that has already been given. And here is the point I'm trying to make. 
that as I have been a pastor for many years, I have found this to be an incredibly hard thing to do well, is to allow God to speak to me even in times that are hard to hear him. And I've come to the conviction that God does not only speak when I'm sitting in my comfy little leather chair with my coffee next to me, but God often speaks when he is doing liberating work within me, when he is allowing me to go through some difficult things so that I might be attentive to his word in a way that I have not been before. That sometimes we think suffering opposes hearing God when the servant will make this very clear to us that God can speak, stirring our attention and our ears to him even when we go through hard things. Come on now. Come on now. The prophet shows us that we have to develop capacities by the grace of God to hear the voice of God even in seasons like this. But not only that, those who begin to become attentive to God, the word says, that the prophet is able to sustain others through that which they have received. I don't think one can read this text without seeing the connection between the capacity to teach and the grace to sustain. I've said this to, sometimes to staff, sometimes to friends that the best teachers are often the best students. People that speak out of a depth of attentiveness to what God is saying can bring forth hope and life to those around them. Let me ask you a very pressing question. Do your words sustain the weary? Do your and my words encourage the tired? Are we the kinds of people who in this season listen to the word of God so that we might become instruments of God's peace and hope in our world? There is so much being said right now that I cannot justifiably understand when it comes from people who proclaim to know the Prince of Peace because it is not words that leads people to Christ, but words that divides and pushes people away. I want to ask you this, and I don't misunderstand me. The words of comfort are not easy words. The words of comfort is not saying everything is fine and good. The words of comfort says, you have paid for your sin, but there is a path to holiness and hope. And it begins with Jesus Christ. Therefore, put your hope in him, the one who liberates and saves and redeems and calls for a hope-filled voice in a world of such negativity, of such criticism, of such bigotry, of such marginalization of such narrowness that the grace of God has no space to breathe. The word of God is not heard in times of trouble because we've reduced it to a word that God has not spoken. 
God, open the ears of your church that we may hear your word and speak your word in how we live to your glory, to your honor, to your praise. Thanks be to God. This kind of listening is intended to do something that many of us have read in Isaiah before. Do you remember the quotation from Isaiah 40? It only makes sense within the context of what I've just said, but I'm going to read it for you and I'm almost done. The prophet says, he gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will do what? Renew their strength. This is the word spoken to the community. This is the word spoken to us. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I want to suggest to you that that scripture paints for us the word that God is speaking through the servant to the people. God gives strength. Are you tired? Are you weary? Here's the good news. Jesus would put it this way. He says, I haven't come for those who feel they are put together. I've come for those who know they need help. I've come for the tired. If you're tired today, the worst thing you can do is pretend you're not. Maybe that's not the worst thing. I think the worst thing you can do is deny the grace of God to be your strength. To hear his word this morning, not as just an abstract philosophical idea from a preacher who's getting super excited behind the podium, but to hear it with a believing faith that says, thus says the Lord to the church and to me today. He is here to sustain the weary. And through me, he wants to sustain the weary. He is here to do something through the people he has called. The scripture says this, let us stand up together as those who've heard the word and speak the hope, even when we experience opposition, even when people don't like how we're living our life or choosing to incarnate the hope of Jesus Christ. But let us not be divided as the people in not listening to the word. The word of hope, of grace, of life. Not only does this listening require a faithfulness to even encounter opposition, but this word requires a trust that often goes beyond what we can see. The fact that uh, the servant will remain committed to speaking the word no matter the consequences to him is rooted not in a, I just want to suffer because suffering itself is good. You know, Jesus didn't intentionally seek out suffering. <laughs> I think that's really important to say. If some people hear me preach like this, they say, well, you know, I guess I got I to gotta suffer for Jesus. I think we inevitably suffer when we're faithful to the world, word of God. I, th I think that comes. I think opposition comes. We don't necessarily seek it out. But the question is, when we listen to the Lord and we try to obey what his word calls us to do, 
When we follow in his ways and when the opposition come, we place our hope in the one that says this. I have overcome Satan, sin, and death itself. And in me, you will live. A lot of young people here today, like me, that still hurts even though I know it shouldn't, but when you laugh like that at my statement, Ryan, I realize I'm not that young anymore. Perhaps I can offer a word to the young amongst us. Um, I, I just want to say this to you, and, and we, we were social distancing around a fire last night, and my wife made this comment, and I just think it's, it's really a true comment. That following Jesus does not mean we will not encounter real significant challenge. And when you hear a gospel message that says to you, if you just follow Jesus, everything will be all right. It is true, but it's not true. If by everything will be all right, we assume that life is going to be easy in trying to be faithful, it is untrue. If by everything is all right, we believe this, that no matter what we endure, God is faithful and true to his word, and we can trust the outcome. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. As I invite you now to reflect upon the word as we prepare to participate in the Lord's Supper, I invite those at home to... Uh, Get yourself ready also. I want us to listen. To make the prayer of our hearts today that we would hear the word. And not just the word we would like to hear, but the word that comes to us from God himself. I want us to recognize that even in our weariness that this particular sacrament is intended to remind us of the one who has come for the weary. And when we practice this sacrament together, we are called into a remembering that is to strengthen our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. The Word of God says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, and he said this, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You did the same with the cup after the supper, saying, This is the cup that is poured out in the new covenant in my blood. Blessed Father, in all that you've done for us through Christ, we here today offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving and in faith. We ask that the Christ who was raised from the dead 
would be the Christ of our hope in the present and for our future. We believe and we affirm with Scripture that Christ has come amongst us, that He has died, but that He was risen and now abides with us through the power of His Holy Spirit. So we do not participate in this sacrament as those who only remember without believing that God is with us. Pour out your Spirit on us. Pour out your spirit on these simple elements. Make us through this communion sacrament to be your body alive in your world. So, Father, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Grant us our daily bread. Help us to forgive and send us into this world. Amen. Let us participate together. This emblem, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is broken for us. Eat this in remembrance of him today and give him thanks. And then drink the cup of the covenant of his blood in remembrance of his sacrifice that brings us life. And be thankful. invite you to stand with me as I offer a closing prayer and benediction. Lord, you have set us free so that we may live in peace as you have promised. We pray today that your grace might make us attentive to your word and that we might live in obedience to what you teach us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Would you go in the peace and the love and the joy of God? God bless you.